Good morning. How are you doing today? Thank you, Brent, for singing that. I, it's one of my favorite things that he sings, and he does it so marvelously well. <clears throat> I do know what time church starts. It's at 10.30. Forgive me for coming in late today. And uh, I wasn't going to uh, necessarily announce this today. I was going to wait a little while, but I, my heart is bursting. And so, can I tell you something that I'm not supposed to tell you yet? Is that okay? <laughs> and it's this. I can't explain how. I can't explain why. I just know that when the Lord spoke to us a few years ago when we became the pastor that Bethesda was to become a multi-generational and a multicultural church, I thought, what a wonderful idea. How nice. I really did. And it... it, it it enlarged my heart. It, 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 it infused me with passion because I was thrilled at all the possibilities and what that could mean. I could easily understand the uh, multi-generational part because I so believe in the church family. I love seeing the old worshiping with the young, with the middle-aged. I see value in that, and, um, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that and all that that can mean to a healthy church. And then he didn't stop by saying multi-generational. He said also Bethesda was become a multicultural church. And so I thought, well, that's good. We'll, we'll get some, there'll be some, maybe some black faces that will come and some Hispanics and, you know, and, and Asians. And, and I, that looks a lot more like heaven to me. And, and I think that's wonderful. And I, I, I so am enriched and, and um, enthralled with the idea of the blending of cultures. And I know that there sometimes is, you know, are challenges there and there can be conflicts and collisions. I get all that. But far beyond all of that is the blessing and the benefit from what happens when brothers and sisters in Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation can gather together all to exalt the name of Jesus. <clears throat> And so, I'll spare you the details except to say that in God's timing and in His way and in His plan, and I wasn't smart enough to dream this up, so don't put this on me, but uh, <clears throat> today we started another language service. There's a service in French taking place right now upstairs. So, all at the same time. At this moment, starting at 10.30, a service in English, a service in Spanish, a service in Swahili, and a service in French, all glorifying the name of Jesus. It's the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You know, all I can say is this, the importance of just saying yes to Jesus. Do you think I had all that in my head? When, no, I didn't. I, I, I got to be honest, I didn't. But you know what? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He sees the end from the beginning. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning. The, he's got this whole thing. And all our, we have to do is just say, Lord, I open my heart to you. I'm willing to follow your command. I'm willing to do what you say. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, one more time. Let's just thank the Lord Jesus for what he's doing. It's amazing. So 
So promise you won't tell anybody because I'm not supposed to announce that yet, okay? So don't tell anybody. And we'll have a formal announcement and just act surprised when I tell you at that time, okay? Well, it is Valentine's Day, and uh, so happy Valentine's to all of you. And uh, I, I have no idea why I looked this up or even was interested in it, but uh, it's so unusual to me. I, I happen to think, when, how often does Valentine's Day fall on Sunday, you know, and, and sh how, how should that be acknowledged? Should it be yada, yada, all that stuff. And so I happened to look when the last time Valentine's Day fell on Sunday. It was back in 2010. I'm sure everybody knew that. And the next time won't be until 2021 which just sounds like an eternity away to me. But um, that being the case, since it's uh, another five years, I thought I would take advantage of this opportunity this morning, and I'm going to give a Valentine's Day message, if there is such a thing. I'm going to try to do that. But before that, I just want to let you know about this young woman who brought her fiancé home to meet her parents. And so after dinner, her mother said to the father, the dad, said, you know, you, you really need to find out something more about this young man. Why don't you take him into your study and put him through the questions and see what you can get, you know, to know about him. So the father invited the fiancé to his study for a talk, and the father says to this young man, said, so, he said, so what are your plans? He said, well, sir, I, I'm a biblical scholar, he replied, and so the dad said, hmm, biblical scholar, that's... Very admirable, I suppose, and that's nice, but how do you plan to provide a house for my daughter to live in? And he said, well, sir, I'm going to study, and the Lord will provide. And so the father, you know, taken a bit back by that answer, he said, so, um, uh, he said, how, will you, how do you plan to buy the beautiful engagement ring that my daughter is deserving of? He said, well, I'm going to concentrate on my studies, the young man said, and, and completely believing that God will provide for us. So the dad said, and what about children? I'm sure children will be born to this marriage. How will you support children? As any concerned father would ask. And he said, oh, don't worry, sir. God will provide, replied the fiancé. So the conversation proceeded like this. And each time the father questioned, the young idealist insisted that God would provide. And so that conversation ended. The young man leaves the home. And uh, the father, now and mother, he, just, he gets with his wife. And she said, so, honey, how did it, how did it go? Did, how, how did it work out in the conversation? He said, well, here's what I learned. He has no job. He has no plans. And he thinks I'm God. And all the dads in the house said, <laughs> well, my Valentine of 41 years is out of town today, but I still thought I would utilize the theme of the day to find biblical application for our lives. And to do that, I'm going to take us to a story in Scripture that seems so preposterous, so almost unbelievable that if you're not familiar with the story, and I know many of you are, but if you happen to not be familiar with the story, you're going to be tempted to ask me if this is really in the Bible. Really? Is that there? And um, I'm going to propose to you this morning that this is actually the supreme 
Valentine expression that we could ever discover. So guys, uh, whatever you did, if you, if you got her chocolates or flowers or a spa day, whatever you did, I, I want you to know that you're going to be outdone this morning by this story that we're, that we're going to read. That it's, it's got you beat. But to, to, before I do that, I want to ask you a question. And it's to me an important question. Have you ever had the Lord ask you or instruct you to do something that sounded to you absolutely crazy? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. It just seemed crazy to you. In fact, you even question if it was the Lord. Have you ever had the Lord ask you or instruct you to do something that almost seemed to defy what you know of God, His character and nature and maybe even your understanding of the Bible, not, not to defy the word of the, of, of the Lord, which is forever settled in heaven, we know, but, but, but rather to defy your understanding or challenge your subjective interpretation. That just doesn't seem like it works in church and in being a Christian. I can't believe the Lord would ask me to do, the Lord would do a thing like that. That just doesn't seem right. I want to remind you this morning, before we read the narrative to which I'm going to take you, as I said a moment ago, that as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways. So are his thoughts above our thoughts. And as badly as you and I really have an innate desire and a need to get God all figured out, to understand it all. Well, this is how he does this. I've been in church for 50 years, and I've, this is how God does this, and, and this is how God does this. I want you to know it's possible that God could step outside the box and do something in a different way, regardless how long you've been in church, regardless how much you know about it. I want us to remember today that God is God. I need a bigger response than that. God is God. And so it's important that we remember that as I take you to the book of Hosea. Let me give you a minute to find it. It's probably not one you go to uh, every week. It's right after Isaiah, Jeremiah. Turn right, skip over three more books, and you're there, okay? The book of Hosea, and I'm sure it's going to be up on the screen here. Let me start with chapter 1 and verse 2, if you'd put up the, the screen for us. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. Am I reading that right? Is it worded different in your Bible? Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Because... This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. And so, Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblium. Is that really in the Bible? God, a sovereign, holy God, would instruct his prophet to do that. You realize if that happened today... In modern church, can you imagine what the media would do with something like that? Local preacher seen with a prostitute. It would be on the front page of the Star-Telegram. It would be the lead story on the 6 and the 10 o'clock news. And just imagine how many invitations Hosea would have 
to be on talk shows, everything from Oprah to Jerry Springer. He'd be on all of them. Well, it's outrageous to say the least, but this is a story of a prophet, a preacher man named Hosea who married a woman named Gomer. Now, can I just ask you, get over the name Gomer. It's not Gomer Pyle Shazam, okay? (laughs) And that laughter only comes from people my age and up. The rest of you have no idea who I'm talking about. And can I just say, somebody else is talking in my ear that I would like to go away because I don't want to preach his message. I'm going to preach this one, okay? Hosea was the first of what we call the minor prophets. There are 12 of them. It's what those books conclude the Old Testament. Minor prophets essentially means they're shorter books, usually somewhere under 14 chapters, as is the case with Hosea. Now, give me just a minute to give you the background because it's important. I'm going to try to make it short here, but you've got to know the background to get the whole impact of what's going on here. During this time, when Hosea is, is uh, serving as prophet, we had a divided kingdom. We had the northern kingdom Israel of Israel, and we had the southern kingdom. And look how cool I am with my little, what is this? Laser, that's what it is. Northern kingdom of Israel. I really didn't need this map. I just wanted to use my laser and show you how cool I was with it. Northern kingdom of Israel. Southern kingdom of, of Judah. You know that's, that's how it was divided. So just understand what's happening. Hosea was a young preacher in the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom and a contemporary of guys like Isaiah and Amos. He lived, as we are told actually in the first verse of the book of Hosea, during the reigns of when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of the southern kingdom were serving as king. Though he was in the northern kingdom, in his northern kingdom, the entire time he was serving as a prophet, there was one king, and it was Jeroboam who reigned over Israel during the lifetime of Hosea. Why is that important? It's important because Jeroboam was one of the long line of wicked kings of Israel who led the nation according to his repugnant character. And this was therefore a very difficult time to be preaching. A very difficult time to be representing God because this king was leading them in such wicked ways. Because since the beginning of time, and I think we all know this, due to our sinful nature, it has always been the propensity of man to wander from God. Our hearts are prone to wander. Mine is. Yours is. Our hearts are prone to wander. That's why in that, that old hymn that we used to sing, Come Thou Found, I love the part that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to lead the God I love because it's so true. And that was Israel's problem time after time after time. And guess what, church? In 2016, in the American church today, it's still our problem time after time. How many know I'm telling you the truth? And Hosea's job as the prophetic voice to the nation of Israel is best summed up in Hosea 13:4, where when speaking for God, he says this, I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me, for there is no other Savior. I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, When you had gotten everything you needed, when you'd gotten everything you wanted, when all was good with you, you became proud then and forgot me. 
This was Israel's problem. Time after time, God would do something for them. He would bless them. He would get them through Egypt. He would provide for them. And as soon as that was over, they would go right back to worshiping other gods, Baal and others. And Hosea's job was to speak these words for God. Oh, that God would raise up a powerful voice in these United States of America to remind us that we must acknowledge no other God but Him. Oh, that God would raise up a powerful prophetic voice to the church of the Lord Jesus to remind us that He has bought us with a price and we belong to Him. And we dare not become proud, preoccupied, and prone to leave the God that we love. But in Hosea's day, just like in our day, people were living it up and didn't have much time for God. They wouldn't have said that, of course, because nobody ever admits that that's true. Instead, we justify it, we defend it. We just, Pastor, we just don't have time to meet God's demands. We just can't, we just can't give Him time in prayer. We can't give Him time in devotional living. It's just because we're busy. We're very, very busy, and I know we live in a busy uh, culture, in a busy place, but they're saying we just don't have time. We're so busy with all important things, and so what really has become sort of the motto of our culture and our day and time is this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is ready for the weekend. Am I telling you the truth? Well, as you might expect, people just didn't pay much attention to Hosea because of this message that he was giving. Because he spoke of judgment. He spoke of chastisement. He said that God was going to raise up the powerful Assyrian nation to punish his people. And that a fierce and ruthless army would sweep across the land like a scourge. Not a popular message. He wasn't, Hosea was just not very good at preaching the message that said, God just wants you to be happy. Above and beyond everything else, his highest concern is your happiness. Well, that's nice, but God's much greater concern is your holiness rather than your happiness. So the people didn't pay much attention to him, and they said that Hosea's God must be a pretty vengeful sort to talk like that, regardless of Hosea's repeated attempts to tell them that that wasn't so. He said God was a God of love. He is a God of love, and that doing what he is doing was the very activity of love, that God wanted them to see what they were doing to themselves, and that the only way he could get them to listen was to make things rough for them. Now, can I say that what I really need to say here is tough for a pastor to say, because I'm looking into the faces of people that I know love God, love to worship Him. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if you didn't want to worship the Lord. I know what it is to walk with many of you through the trials and the difficulties that you're facing and the very challenging season. I've sat and cried with you and prayed with, with so many of you as you're trying to consider, why is, God, why is this happening? I don't understand. Pastor, these are not the seeds that we've sown. I don't get it. And so it's not easy to say this. So can I just preface it by saying it, it only comes with a broken heart and with a strong sense of concern for the people of God that we are always pursuing Him above and beyond everything else, including our own pleasure and our own happiness. But sometimes God works like that. Sometimes God will rough us up in order to get our attention. Sometimes God steps outside the box 
Sometimes he moves in ways that we don't understand. It doesn't match what we've heard in church. It doesn't match what we heard in Sunday school and what we've always understood about the way God is and the way he deals with us. And he is okay with allowing you to reach measures of desperation if it draws you back to the God you love. But Israel didn't pay any more attention to that than people do today. Instead, they blamed God and said, If God is really a God of love, then why does he let things get in such a mess? And oh my goodness, don't we hear that constantly from the world today as they stand in judgment of God in their effort to find a way to completely disregard God. They'll say things, how could a God of love allow war or poverty or sickness or disease? I hear that just like you do all the time. If the only measuring stick that you have is God is a God of love by your finite understanding of what love is, and you have decided that you get to define how God is love, you have a very limited understanding of the God we serve. If we think God is only here for our convenience and happiness, then we don't understand what it is to be serving a jealous God who wants us to the core of who we are. So Israel questioned, how could a God of love send a ruthless people like the Assyrians down upon our land? So what happened as Hosea continued to give this message was the audience was diminishing. They voted with their feet and they didn't show up. Polite to his face but sneering behind his back. And let's be honest, it's difficult to accept a prophet. If you've ever really known a true prophet, You don't go to them for encouragement. No, 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 no. Because they're going to be straight to the point. They're going to talk about how you need to live a holy life. They're going to hold you to the authenticity and the authority of the Word of God unflinchingly. And they're not going to be easy about it. If you've ever known a prophet, sometimes they're hard hard to take. If you're needing someone to coddle you and and to comfort you and to wrap their arms around you, and we need that from time to time. We all need encouragement. Don't go to a prophet. You're not going to get it there. Most of them get categorized as crazy. And so Hosea is rather discouraged, and in the opening chapter of this little minor book of prophecy, we read this personal note about him, which is where the heart of this story is. For Hosea goes to God, and God told him to do this strange thing. God said, Hosea, I want you to get married. Now, I can imagine, this is not actually in the text, but I can imagine that Hosea brightened up at this idea because he's a bachelor. And how incredible to have the God of the universe, God Almighty, say to you, and I have picked out just the girl for you. Yes! Hallelujah! And when God mentions her name, Hosea's heart must have fluttered because the name of this girl was Gomer, and she happened to be the most beautiful girl in all of Israel. And so, no surprise, Hosea was most definitely interested. But God said to him, I, you know, Hosea, I think it's important that you know the whole story about this girl. I want you to marry her, but here's the deal. She's going to be unfaithful to you. In fact, she will become nothing but a common street prostitute. But I want you to marry her anyway. She's going to be your valentine. Now, wait. 
I just need a moment to process that. I, was, I had to as I was reading it. God, you designed this plan? On the surface, <laughs> this doesn't fit the image. This doesn't fit the, you know, it's not in my Sunday school quarterly anywhere. <laughs> I would think the story would go like this, that God picked the person for you, and it was peaceful and joyous every day, and they lived happily ever after. Isn't that the way it would have gone if God had done it? Surely Hosea was puzzled by God's strange command, just as Abraham was puzzled by God's command that he should take his own son and kill him, put his own son to death. Church, God does strange things. I don't know who I'm talking to today. But God does some strange things at times, things that we don't understand, things that we have difficulty appreciating, things that we can't categorize in our Christian mind, things that don't fit into what we know about a loving God. This is one of those strange things. And he told Hosea, I want you to marry this girl. She's going to be a harlot, a hussy, a hooker, a common streetwalker. Oh, and there's more. You're going to have three children by her, two boys and a girl. And when they're born, I want to name them for you, God said to Hosea. And somehow, me thinks that at this moment, when God starts saying, and I want to name your children, that Hosea begins to get just a smidgen of understanding of what God was up to. Because Hosea knew that it was customary in Israel to teach by symbols, and God often used this method, method of instructing his people. Hosea also understood the importance of names they were extremely important for God often used the meanings of names to teach Israel certain truths. And now God was planning on using this prophet and his soon-to-be family as a lesson for all of Israel. So Hosea goes according. And I admit, I'm quite struck by his willingness to walk into this situation. I, I think I would have voted no. I think I would have said, Lord, you know, I would have, you know, I would have said, get thee behind me, Satan. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. This voice can't be right that I'm hearing. But Hosea goes forward with it, and he pursues Gomer. And sure enough, Gomer was attracted to this shy young preacher boy. And at last, he summoned up the courage and asked her to marry him. And to his great relief, she accepted the rose, and she said yes, and they were married. And at first it was heaven on earth. But isn't the romantic phase always delightful? Do any of you remember the romantic phase? It's always delightful. It is so wonderful. He's just glorious. She's just spectacular. Everything is great, ladies, until you find out that he doesn't put the toilet seat down. <laughs> or that he's picky about whether the toilet paper should go over or under, as we heard last week. And that he gets really cranky when he's hungry. Or guys, that she looks a little different without her makeup on and those curlers in her hair and that cream stuff on her face and those stupid fuzzy slippers. She looks a little different with all of that. Now, I'm not trying to suggest anything about my own married life or anyone else's for that matter. But I want to illustrate for you what can happen to married folks when things start to go south. First, we have a box of Rice Krispies. We have a box of Rice Krispies. Rice Krispies are very fresh and crunchy when you first open the box. They go snap, crackle, and... Thank you. 
which is typical of new love. When you first meet, there are fireworks, hallelujah, there's a lot of snack, crackle, and popping going on. But when the milk gets on and stays there for a while, can I just say, the snap loses its snap. The crackle loses its crackle, and the pop, it's gone. <laughs> Next, we have a box of Cheerios. Cheerios are little circles that float in the beginning. But after the milk has been on them for a while, Cheerios sink and get soggy in the bowl. And so it is with some marriages. In the beginning, you seem to be in a state of perpetual floatness. Whenever the love of your life and the apple of your eye walks into the room, you float with passion. But if you're not careful or if something goes awry in the marriage, things sink and get soggy. Next, we have a box of tricks. And I think this speaks for itself because everyone knows tricks are for Thank you. There are plenty of people who have bad marriages because they never grew up. And they jumped into a relationship before they were mature enough to handle the responsibilities of it. Then we have puffed rice is next. Puffed rice never lasts. The second anything hits it, it wilts. And that is the way it is with some marriages. The second there's any hint of trouble, the two people who said, I do, are quick to say, but I don't anymore. And finally, we have a box of shredded wheat, which I think is the best kind of cereal and the best kind of marriage. Because shredded wheat, folks, it holds up no matter what you put on it, bless the Lord. If it's dry, it holds up. If it's wet, it holds up. Crush it if you want, it still holds up. Grind it if you want, it still holds up. And God was about to use Hosea's marriage as a kind of shredded wheat to show Israel that no matter how unfaithful she had been, God still loved them. And I'm here to tell you today that God has a shredded wheat love for you. You may have been unfaithful. You may have been running around. You may have been sneaking off to serve other gods, but God still loves you. He's still willing to forgive you, and he wants to take you back. And the Bible says that Hosea loved this girl, Gomer. You can't read this prophecy without seeing how clearly he loved her. And they must have been wonderfully happy together, and, and the, the time came for them to have their first child. It was a boy, just as God has said. And I'm sure Hosea's heart was filled to overflowing that his son is born. Now, I have heard, I've heard for ever since I've been married to Becky Sue, she's a, the first and only child of Bill and Jerry Nyswanger. And they were from a small town in Iowa, most of you know that, Indianola, Iowa, south of Des Moines, we had a small town square. But I heard from everybody, as soon as I met Becky, she was the apple of his eyes, she was the most beautiful daughter that had ever been born, and this handsome young farmer went running around the town square, letting everyone know that the most beautiful child ever had been born. I'm sure he didn't pass out cigars because he was Pentecostal, but he passed out whatever. Because he was so proud, and I can imagine Hosea did this same thing. And so, as was the deal, Hosea went to God for the name of this boy. So what should we name the lad? And you won't believe this, but the name God picked is Jezreel. You know what Jezreel means? It means castaway. It's a name of shame in Israel. Some of you will remember the bloody story of Queen Jezebel and Ahab Ahab cheated on his, uh, his neighbor out of his property and stole his neighbor's vineyard. And Jezebel was, was responsible for setting it all up and putting, it up to it, putting him up to it. And, and, and 
and, and, and at last God's judgment fell upon her and she was looking out the upper story window one day when a general Jehu was down in the courtyard and he ordered his servants to, to throw her out of the, Jezebel out of the window. They threw her out. She fell on the pavement. She was killed. The dogs ate her up and the courtyard has been called Jezreel ever since. It's a place of shame. Nevertheless, that was the name that God picked for Hosea's oldest boy, his first son. So in obedience... That was the name Hosea gave to his baby, for he understood that God was warning his people that they too would be cast away if they didn't recognize the folly of their actions, if they didn't turn from going after idols and giving way to abdominal practices and trying to be like everybody else around them. God's people were called to a higher standard, and God was warning them with this baby's name. Well, in the course of time, another child... This time a daughter is born to Hosea and Gomer. And this one, her name was Loruhama. Isn't she adorable up there? But you know what Loruhama means? It means not pitied. Not pitied. Imagine naming your beautiful baby girl not pitied. It meant that God would no longer have pity on his people if they continued their stubborn rebellion. His patience was wearing thin as they time and time and time again turned away from him. After some hundreds of years of trying to reach his stubborn people, he was now warning them that they were getting to the end. That a time would come when he would no longer pity them. He would hand them over to invading armies. Well, this little girl was weaned and Gomer conceived yet again and bore a third child, another little boy. And this one is named Lo-Ami, Lo-Ami. And it means this, not my people. For God was saying, you are not my people, and I will not be your God. God had said that he would name these children as a sign to his people that I should cast you away. I should never have pity upon you. I should not be your God for the way you have disregarded me, for the way you have turned to other idols, for the way you've had time and interest for any and every other thing, for the way your heart has been prone to wander from me. But because of my overwhelming love for you, God says, there will come a day of restoration. And then God says through the prophet Hosea, chapter 2, he says, I will show love to those I called, not loved. And to those I called, not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are my God. Oh, dear one today, I don't know about you, but I am so glad to be able to know today that God has had pity upon my poor soul. Is anybody else with me today on that? So glad he has shown me mercy. For like the Apostle Paul said, when I would do good, evil is present there within me. I don't do the things I want to do, and and, and I do the things I don't want to do. Even the Apostle Paul said that. So even though God was upset with Israel, through Hosea's bad marriage, he was announcing also that his grace was also going to be shown. Grace, grace, God's grace that will pardon and cleanse within. It's greater than all of our sin. At this point, there were no more children to be born in Hosea's household. Gomer began to then fulfill the sad prediction that God had made when he told Hosea to marry her. What a heartbreak it must have been to this young preacher as he heard the whispers around the community that began to circulate about his wife and what was happening when he was away on his preaching trips. Perhaps his own children 
new stories or could tell him things that were happening when daddy was away. Soon the children were left uncared for while Gomer wasted all her time running around with all of these other men. One day, Hosea comes home to find a note from Gomer. She had decided to find the happiness that she felt she deserved, and she was leaving him and the children to follow the man that she believed that she really loved. You see, Gomer had passed from man to man until at last she fell in the hands of a man who was unable to even pay for her food and her clothing. Her first lover had given her a mink stole, but, but the one she was with now made her clothe herself from rags because he had nothing. That's who she was with now. News of her miserable state came to the prophet, her, her husband Hosea. And so he decides he's going to go find this guy. We're going to have to talk. And he knew where he would find him. Heart breaks for some of you because you've had to go searching for someone that you loved. Some of you know what it is to go have to find a spouse in a place that you didn't, you really didn't know where they were, you were only guessing. You've driven all over Fort Worth, all over Tarrant County, or you've gone to find a child that you didn't know where they were. That's the state that Jose is in at this point. However, Jose knew where he would find this guy. He assumed he would be he would be down at the local sports bar. And when he met this man, I can imagine the conversation may have gone something like this. Are you the man living with Gomer, the daughter of Diblium? I can see the man saying, well, if you think if it's any of your business, yeah, I am. Hosea said, well, it is my business because I'm Hosea, her husband. Probably a tense moment. The man says, so what do you want? I haven't done anything wrong. Hosea says, listen, I'm not interested in causing trouble, but I do happen to know that you're having difficulty making ends meet. So here, I want you to take this money, and I want you to buy Gomer some clothing and see that she has plenty of food. See that she has what she needs, and if this isn't enough, come back and I'll give you more. I'll give it to you. And I can imagine the man probably thought, you know, there's no fool like an old fool. If this man wants to help pay for this woman, that's fine with me. He can pay all he wants. So he took the money, and he bought her groceries, and he bought her clothes, and he went home. You and I, according to our human standard and way of processing and thinking and the dictates of our hearts, we might say, what a foolish thing for a, for a man to do. How stupid. But I have to ask you. Who can explain the madness of love? Who can explain it? Love will make you do things that you never thought you would do. In 1966, a man by the name of Percy Sledge recorded a song titled, When a Man Loves a Woman. Now, I know we're in church today. And I know that song is probably not in your hymnal. But I think the words of Percy's song are appropriate for me to recite in this message, particularly on a day like this. When a man loves a woman, can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'll trade the world for the good thing he found. Yeah, if she's bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong. And he'd turn his back on his best friend if he put her down. Dear church, love exists apart from reason, and it has its own reasons. 
Love exists apart from reason, and it has its own reasons. Love does not act according to logic, and I will never forget the day a very wise man looked at me and said, Dan, you can never win an emotional argument with logic. Write that down, man. You can never win an emotional argument with logic. It just doesn't work. How many of us have tried? It just doesn't work. Because love acts according to its own nature. And so Hosea acted on the basis of love. And I can just imagine as he watched from a distance to catch a glimpse of the woman he loved as she rushed out to the door to take the groceries from this other man's arms and to thank him for what he had brought to her, which were actually the gifts that her true love had provided. And how long this went on, we do not know for sure. But at last the word came that things had so degenerated for Gomer in this relationship. And Hosea learned that the woman he loved was to be sold in the slave market. The man she was living with, the man she thought was going to be so hot, so wonderful, so full of promise and all of this romantic illusion, he'd gotten tired of her. And so he was going to sell her as a slave. Broken-hearted Hosea didn't know what to do. He went weeping to God. God said, Hosea, do you love this woman in spite of all she's done to you? Through his tears, Hosea said, yes, I do. God said, then go show your love for that woman in the same way that I love the nation of Israel. So Hosea went to the marketplace and he watched Gomer be brought up and placed on the dock. And there she was stripped of her clothing and stood naked before the crowd. And the auctioneer, auctioneer pinched her and prodded her to show how strong he was, she was and then the bidding began. Someone bid three pieces of silver. Hosea said, I'll give five. Somebody else upped it to eight. Hosea said, I'll give 10. Somebody went to 11. He went to 12. And then Hosea offered 15 pieces of silver and five bushes of barley. And the auctioneer's gavel fell. And Hosea had his wife back. He went to her. He put clothes on her. He led her away by the hand and he took her to his home. Dear friends, that's the finest Valentine story I can possibly ever imagine. Brent, would you come, please? I'm just wondering, as I bring this to a close, how much of the parallel I need to draw for us today. God was dealing with the nation of Israel. But as is so typical of the Lord, there's also a message for us here today. I think it's pretty obvious. Just like the nation of Israel, God's own people, you and I have hearts that are prone to wander. We too have surrendered to idols that call for our affection, demand our time, and are ever pulling us away from the God we love. We too satisfy our own flesh with actions and behaviors that are anything but pleasing to God. We know it, but we dismiss it and we excuse it. We willingly walk away 
from lives of devotion to Christ, being so easily distracted by any and every other thing that the world has to offer. Dare I say it, we prostitute ourselves by aligning with unholy and unhealthy people and things all in an effort to gratify the craving within. But as surely as we think we have run far enough, as surely as we think we are out of God's reach, God touches our sleeve with His love and He says, my child, my name and my nature are love and I act according to what I am. When you're tired of all your running, when you're tired of all your wandering, when you're tired of all your heartbreak, I'm here to draw you to myself again. Or you see, church, it happened like this. In Bethlehem, God entered the slave market where the whole human race, including you and me, was up for auction, prostituting ourselves and our humanity to a cheapened life. But bless the name of the Lord on the cross of Calvary. The Lord Jesus paid the price, the full price for your freedom, and He bought you back. And every hammering of the nail into his hands was Christ Jesus saying to the auctioneer, I'll give more. I'll give more. Every stripe laid upon his bleeding back was his expression of love to you saying, dear child, no price is too great. Whatever price others said they would give for you, He'll give more because you are worth that to Him. Bow your heads with